Well, good morning. It is for sure good to be in the house of the Lord today, and uh, we thank you. We're thankful so much that we have technology, and those that are watching online could, could be worshiping with us as well. 1 Corinthians 15, and I remind you today, as many of you know who attend here weekly, I do not pick the text. We do not, by and large, pre- top, preach topically. We preach through a book of the Bible, and by God's sovereign providence, we are at the gospel today, and man, do we need it. We need the gospel clarity today, and that's what we're going to be. We're going to literally just sort of figuratively going to roll around in the resurrection for the next month or so, and I'm looking forward to this, and so we begin as Paul brings his letter to a close, and so as you find your place, let me just say what you've already hopefully heard from Mike and, and other brothers and sisters that hopefully can speak peace and calmness into your life. We are Christians, brothers and sisters. We have been put on the stake for the cause of Christ. And our destiny is secure, and our hope is sure. And so let us ease ourselves with the gospel this morning. Let us not pray to fear and panic as we think about the Corinthian church and idolatry and people... People have turned even toilet paper into idols this week. Isn't that hilarious? I keep thinking about Timothy Keller says anything could be an idol and everything has been. And gracious, it only takes a little bit of suffering to bring up our idols, doesn't it? And so we need this word today. So let me just begin before we read 1 Corinthians 15. With a word from Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says this, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. And so, whether you're listening online today or whether you were here, let that rest your soul today. That's what that word means, stayed. It means, it means to lean on. That's what it means. We have faith in what we are leaning on right now. And nothing brings that to the surface more than suffering. And so, we trust the Lord. So let me ask you to stand to your feet as we enter into this. For some people in the Christian faith, this this chapter is like the magnum opus. This is what we constantly come to is somewhere in 1 Corinthians 15. And what a privilege we have today. To have a copy of God's Word in our hands open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1 that says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received That Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to the apostles, last of all. As to one untimely born, he also appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the simplicity, the clarity, and yet the profoundness of your gospel, Lord. Orient us as your people towards the gospel. Save those who have not yet received the gospel today. Do your work, Lord, through your words. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray. Reconcile people today. Comfort your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So just as we get our bearings, this sort of is for Paul a new section, although this is a letter and everything is connected. He has began with the gospel and he has drawn his letter to a close, and so he returns to the gospel. There is a controversy going on in the Corinthian churches. Controversy has not been a new thing we've been talking about. It happens in every local church, and it happened in there. There was a controversy over the resurrection. And not necessarily Christ's resurrection, but theirs. So what happens to us when we die? Is, is our body just done? The Christian faith is, is built on the understanding that our bodies are not finished when we die. That Christ is going to make our bodies new. He is going to resurrect them. There was a problem. There was a controversy. So you see, Greeks and Romans had no problem with the supernatural. They believed in life. After death, but the body was not part of that. The body was seen by most as inferior, something to be rejected. And so we're dealing in our context with something a little bit different than theirs in the sense that everybody believed in the supernatural, and now no one does hardly. You say, no, Pastor, if you ask people, they would believe in Jesus. I would say, let's just see how they responded into life over the last three weeks. For there we know what people believe. We have in our society, no matter what people confess, functional atheism in the sense of the way people live. They are not living as if there is anything after this. This is sort of our problem. If not careful, we'll even bring this kind of mindset and in living into the local church and so what do we do when it happens? This is the, Paul's just giving us a very practical leadership lesson here. What do you do when there's wrong belief? What do you do when there's wrong thinking? What do you do when there's wrong actions? Go back to the gospel, right? That's what he's doing. So this morning, the scriptures clearly reveal the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that it might be proclaimed and believed. This is where we start, not only dealing with controversy or problems. It's just where we start when we want to know what about me after I die. We start with the gospel this morning. So the scripture re clearly reveals the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where we want to begin. I want to begin with verse 3. We'll come back to verse 1 and 2 at the end. Look at verse 3, the beginning. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. I delivered to you 
what I received to myself. What did he receive? He received the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of how sinful man can be reconciled to a holy God. That's what he received. How did he receive it? Well, you might want to mark Galatians. Galatians. Very important first couple chapters of Galatians to this creedal statement of the early church. Talk about that more in a minute. How did Paul receive this gospel? Galatians 1, look at verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how he received it. He didn't go and take a seminary class. He didn't go anywhere. He received it as a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. If you remember the Lord's Supper passage in chapter 11 back in 1 Corinthians. Hold your place there in Galatians. In chapter 11 and verse 23, he says the same thing. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So he is bringing to them what Christ has given to him. He received it and he brings it to be received. Now flip with me back to Galatians 2. I want you to see something. The gospel by Paul was not only verified, but it is a unified gospel. In Galatians 2, look at verse 1. I think this is just profoundly interesting, and most people just read over it. Verse 1, then after 14 years, so Paul's been ministering for 14 years to the Gentiles. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and taking Titus along with me, verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had run in vain. Look down at verse 6. And, those, and, and from those who seemed to be influential, parentheses, what they were makes no difference to me because God shows no partiality. I love that. It's Paul right there. Those I say who seemed influential added what? Nothing. One gospel. It's a gospel that was given to the apostles, the twelve. It's the same gospel that Apostle Paul received from direct revelation from God. This is, brothers and sisters, what makes up 1 Corinthians 15. It is not a statement that was made over hundreds of years that developed over time. It is a creedal statement that had its very inception of the Christian church. This was what Christians sang and stated to themselves, whether they were literate or not. They proclaimed the gospel. The gospel that the apostles had received, Paul had received, so they proclaimed. And this, brothers and sisters, is, look at the text now, back to 1 Corinthians 15, is of first importance. This is the principal thing. Yes, brothers and sisters, this, today, this text is worth dividing over, fighting for, and laying our lives down for. And like we said last week, tongues is not. This is of first importance. The gospel, yes. Tongues, no. Pews, no. Gospel, yes. When we move over there, Lord willing, one day, the wall color and the floor color is essential, no. The gospel, yes. This is of first importance. Brothers and sisters worshipped in the house. We worshipped the other week under a pole shed with people standing up or sitting on logs. That is not important. The gospel is important. 
So what is this gospel? For I also received, what did he receive? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You see, brothers, this is, I brought this book today. I encourage you, especially if you have children in your home, you should have one of these on your bookshelf. You don't have to read all of it at one time, though it's a good idea. Just want us to see something today. This is Josh McDowell's book called A New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I want us to see, quite simply, Christ died. He died historically. This was part of the purpose, the way the creedal statement was emphasized. He died historically. A Roman historian named Cornelius Tacitus, talking about Nero. Remember Nero? Remember how he burned, his own, burned Rome and then blamed it on the Christians? Well, this historian was discussing this. Listen to what he said. Hence, to suppress the rumor, he falsely charged with the guilt, speaking of Nero, and punished with the most exquisite tortures the Persians commonly called Christians, who were hated for their enormities. Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius, but the pernicious superstition repressed for a time broke out again, not only throughout Judea, where the mischief originated, but throughout the city of Rome also. Now, does he sound like a fan of Jesus Christ to you? No. This is what we call a hostile witness. Jesus died in history. The Roman bore witness to it. The the Jewish people who, Josephus, who was another historian, who was not a fan of Jesus, bore witness not only that he died, but his disciples claimed he rose from the grave. Christ died historically, and he was buried. Isn't it interesting that it mentioned he was buried? You almost assume it. You say, what is he doing? He's setting the, the backdrop of the gospel in this dark night so that the resurrection could, could gleam as brightly as it needs to in our life. Christ died. Why? It tells us, look at it. He died for our sins. He died for our sins. He died sacrificially. For us, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Notice this in Galatians 3.13. Notice what, who they quote. Quote the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ died sacrificially for our sins. Romans chapter 3. Oh, how do you know where, what to read when you open up the book of Romans? <laughs> it's all just good. But let's just look at verse 25. Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation, a wrath-removing substitute. Our sin creates wrath to, before a holy God. Christ died for our sins. He became a curse for us. He took our wrath and brought us favor. He brought us, Romans chapter 4, peace. Christ died for our sins. Christ died to bring us peace. Listen, I'm just being honest today. He didn't die for us so that we can live in fear, anxiety, and panic. He didn't. He died to bring us peace. We go back to the gospel and remember there was a time when we didn't have peace. Romans 4.23 
But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 25, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, verse 1, chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what stays our mind. Christ died for us sacrificially. He brought us peace. And he delivers us from the tyranny and the chains of our sin. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's obedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through Christ, through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of the death of Christ, the tyranny, the chains. We're not only forgiven, but the power of sin has been broken into our life. Yes, we still sin, but we hate our sin and we war against that which we used to love. That, brothers and sisters, is how we know we are the redeemed. That which we loved, we now hate. That which we hate, we now love. Christ's death provided that. He fulfilled it. According to the Scriptures, now, what were the scriptures? It was the Old Testament. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Again, I'm going to pull and, and just use my, my good buddy here, Josh McDowell here. I just want you to roll around in this with me for a minute. He records here some of the prophecies. Psalms 41 prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed by a friend. Matthew 10 says Judas betrayed him. Zechariah chapter 11 said he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 26, that was accepted. That's exactly what he was sold for. They said that money would be thrown into God's house. Zechariah eleven thirteen, Matthew 27. That's exactly where the money was thrown. That money would be used to buy a potter's field. Prophesied, Zechariah eleven thirteen, Fulfilled, Matthew 27, 7. When they bought a potter's field with the money that was given to Judas. Zechariah 13 says that Jesus would be forsaken by his disciples. Mark 14, they all fled. He would be accused by false witnesses, prophesied, Psalms 35, fulfilled, Matthew 26. He would be silent before his accusers, Isaiah 53, fulfilled, Matthew 27. He would be wounded and bruised, Isaiah 53, 5, fulfilled, Matthew 27, 6. He would be smitten and spit upon, Isaiah 56, fulfilled, Matthew 26, 67. He would be mocked. Psalms 22, 7 and 8. He was mocked, Matthew 27, 29. He would fail under the cross. Psalms 109, 
John 19 and Luke 23 said he, he went to Golgotha bearing his cross and he fell and Simon picked it up and carried it. His hands and his feet would be pierced. Psalms 22. His hands was, was pierced on Calvary. Luke 23. He was crucified with thieves. Isaiah 53, 12 prophesied, fulfilled Matthew 27. He would make intercession for those who persecuted him. Isaiah 53, 12 he prayed to forgive those who persecuted him. Luke 23. He would be rejected by his own people. Isaiah 53 fulfilled John chapter 7. He would be hated without cause. Psalm 69 fulfilled John 15. He would, his friends would stay far from him. Psalm 38 fulfilled Luke 23. People would shake their heads, stare at him. Garments would be potted in Lot's class. All fulfilled in Matthew, Luke in John, he would suffer and thirst. Psalm 69, fulfilled at John 19. Gall and vinegar would be offered to him. Prophesied Psalm 69, fulfilled Matthew 27. He would cry that he would be forsaken. Psalms 22, Matthew 27. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would commit himself to God. Psalms 31, fulfilled Luke 23. Not a bone would be broken. He would be heartbroken. His side would be pierced. All prophesied in the Psalms, all fulfilled in John. Darkness would be over the land, Amos 8, 9. Darkness was in the land, Matthew 27, 45. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53, fulfilled, Matthew 27. This, brothers and sisters, was what the Christian church stood on for the centuries. Christ died just like the Bible said he would, and he fulfilled it in detail. And as Josh McDowell would say, this is the evidence that demands a verdict from you and for those listening online and for this nation. Luke 24, the, Jesus was walking down the road after his resurrection with those two men going to Emmaus, you remember? And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Yes, Christ died according to the scriptures. That Christ rose from the dead. Verse 4. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We're going to talk about the resurrection for the next month or so. But I just want you to know. He rose again, just like the prophet said he would. Psalm 16.10 says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, and you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Someone says, well, how do you know that had to do with Jesus? Do you remember Pentecost? Peter preaching. What did Peter do in his sermon? Quoted Joel chapter 2, Psalms 16 and other Psalms he quoted. In, Psalm, in Acts 2.31, Peter preaching said, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter said, Psalms was speaking about Christ. Isaiah 53 and verse 10 pointed towards Christ when it said, Yet it was the will of, God, will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. Listen to this. He shall see, God will see his offspring, 
and he will prolong his days. The word of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall, he shall see and be satisfied. By the knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he will bear their iniquities. Christ rose from the dead, just like Scripture said he would. And listen, this is what this is how Paul deals with unbelief. With bad acts. He goes back to the gospel, and here he says, He appeared to witnesses. This is just not my idea. We didn't dream this up. Look at verse 4. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. And verse 8, last of all, one is one untimely born. He appeared to me. His resurrection is an historical event that was witnessed by people. This is what he's saying. Do you understand the historical evidence of what we, what we believe? John 20, verse 9 says, For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. The disciples didn't understand this. Jesus appeared to him. He's, so I want you to get this this morning out of this text. Two things are being taught here very clearly. The truth of the gospel is an historical fact. Second, the gospel was predicted beforehand and was fulfilled exactly the way it said. He's not finished. He said, everything as you know, Speaking to their day, and our day is the same day. Must be witnessed by two or three to have credit, be a credible testimony. And so he says, he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. In Luke 24, 34, the declaration, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. In John 20, 26, it says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with him, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He appeared to the twelve. When did he appear to these 500 at once? We're not sure. Most suspect it was the context of the Great Commission. We're not sure about that. Here's the point he's making. That all 500 of these people witnessed the risen Jesus at one time. And if 500 people don't have hallucinations, the same hallucination, at the same time. He said, if you don't believe me, go ask one of these 500 people. Most of them are still here. That's why he said that for. Christ died, he rose again. There's witnesses. There's 500 of them. Go ask them. And one of the most profound witnesses was James. The unbelieving brother. I find this to be impressive. James was unbelieving during Jesus' ministry. And listen, a little sidebar here. I know many of you are like me. And you have people you love. That you would give your life if they would turn to Christ. And so I got some comfort for you today. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. 
For through Jesus' life and ministry, his own brother thought he was a nut. Read the text. Mark 3 and John 7. Presumably it was when Jesus appeared to him that James was saved. For here's what we know. That before, before the death of Jesus Christ, James did not believe. And after the death of Christ, we find him in Acts chapter 15 and what Galatians 2 calls a pillar of the church. So here's just the logical question. What made the difference? Would James start believing in a dead brother when he did not believe in a live one? No, brothers and sisters, Jesus has risen and he appeared to James. James served the church and gave his life. And his last witness, he puts himself last intentionally. He says, finally, one is untimely born. He, I'm a witness. He revealed himself to me. Here's what he's saying, by the way, he worded that. Who would have thought that God would have saved me? Right? Anybody feel that way? <laughs> Who would have thought God would have saved me? You see, all the apostles were, were chosen. Jesus said, Peter, James, John, you follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they followed him. But Paul hated him. Paul was going, remember, down Damascus. He did not have a hole in his heart searching for Jesus. He hated Jesus. He hated his followers. He was going to persecute them. And he ran smack into Jesus Christ. And he saved him. He said, who would have thought? I persecuted the church. But Christ died for me and he rose again and he appeared to me and he has saved me. See, brothers and sisters, don't miss this. The resurrection is just essential for your salvation as the death of Christ is. And we're going to see that in the future. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is imperative. Why? So that it might be proclaimed. You've got to understand what I just said, brothers and sisters. If you need to go back and listen to it again... Or listen to another brother that may even speak it even clearer. Listen to it. Because it must be proclaimed. Verses 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles. Paul's still talking about his own salvation and witness. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Paul never got over this fact. I was saved by grace. Saved by grace. I wasn't saved because I chose Jesus. I'm ultimately chiefly saved because He chose me. And I never get over that fact. This is what drives our meaning and our purpose. This is not only what keeps our soul still in the midst of tragedy. This is what has kept our, our brothers and sisters in the midst of the black plague in the city ministering to people who are perishing. Because this gospel is true. He saved me. And he's left me here to this point in time. To be part of the mission of God. Ephesians 2. You were dead. Ephesians 2. But God made you alive. You were saved by grace. Through faith. It wasn't your doing. It's a gift of God. What are you going to do with it?
He was saved by grace. And look, he lived by grace. In a couple weeks, I'm going to preach an application message. The whole message is going to be application about the resurrected life and depression. So we're going to get practical here as the weeks unfold. But listen, there is one purpose right here that he's getting towards. One divine effect that came from the grace Ephesians 3, verse 8, Paul says it very clearly. To me, listen to the context, same context. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Why, Paul? Why was grace given? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what drove Paul. He did not never get over the fact that he was saved by grace and that he lived by grace and that the principal effect that that caused chiefly was to proclaim the clarity of this gospel to the nations that God had placed him in. Am I more concerned over the last few weeks as we talk about spiritual gift with what tongues look like in worship than whether I've shared the gospel with my co-worker? Because brothers and sisters, this is Paul's point. What does that matter if your coworker or your family don't know the gospel? You were saved by grace to share it. That's why we are here. But we are afraid. Can I just be honest with you about a time? I don't know if I told Mike this, but he probably saw it on my face. I'm sure we talked about it. The last time we went to Honduras, what was that, three years ago? Me and Mike were taking turns sharing the gospel as people went through the clinic. And probably, I'd imagine, about these three chairs right here in the front. And they were full. And most of the men were working, and most of it was women. And they, two-thirds of them, were actively feeding their children, if you know what I mean. And here I am, I'm proclaiming the gospel. I'm sorry, I've just never been to that before. It was, it was a new, shocking experience for me. So what did I do? Go to Mike and say, Mike, you know, brother, I'm just really uncomfortable with this. Just never been through this. Would you take that? No, no. You know what we did? We did it over and over and over and over and over. I can tell you the truth. I had more fun on this trip to Honduras than I've ever had fun in my life. I had to force myself to let somebody else do it. Why? Because the same women, different women, doing the same thing, feeding their children was there. And I looked at them in their eyes and I told them about the gospel. And they heard it and they received it. It doesn't get any better than that, brothers. To this you have been called. This is what Paul is saying. So let's make sure we understand. Let's turn to Romans 10 today. Notice where I keep going for... Some good gospel clarity. Hint, hint. Romans, Romans. Romans 10. I pray that there are those here and today that will hear this. Romans 10 verse 9. This is a promise, brothers and sisters. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is Justified, declared righteous, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a promise, beloved. But here's the reality, verse 14. How will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him who have never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So my first application question today has to do with us individually and us collectively. Am I individually and Battleground Community Church, are we collectively committed to proclaiming the gospel? Because if we're not, we might as well go home because we're not fulfilling our purpose. God called us individually and saved us individually to live by grace, chiefly, firstly, to proclaim the gospel that saved us. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's not you are not the power, nor am I. It is the gospel of God through the Spirit of God that calls the people of God. But we are His instruments of proclamation. The Scriptures clearly reveal the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, so that it might be believed. We understand it with clarity so that we might proclaim it because here is our desire, our hope that it might be believed. Now back up to verse 1 and 2. This is where he starts. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Unless you believe in vain. I don't know what this means to you today. This is just what I was doing last night as I studied. And as we were singing, if you remember that. And the backdrop today of all our music was the cross. Do you remember that in your mind? Can you, can you picture that with me? There was a backdrop of the cross. Notice there wasn't anybody on that cross. Another one of our non-negotiables. The work's finished. It is done. I've been singing that today. So I want you to do something with me for the next minute or two. Close your eyes with me. I want you to go back to the cross. Are you there? He's not on that cross. You see, as Christians, we never get over this fact that we were saved by grace. We're here at the cross. Now you can go back to the beginning do you remember the beginning? Adam and Eve. Adam sinned. Christ is the better Adam. He never sinned. Do you remember that animal that was slain to cover their shame? Christ died for you to cover your shame. Do you remember Genesis 3? Do you remember the promise that an offspring of the woman would be bruised, but raised up and crushed the serpent. That was Jesus that crushed the serpent. Do you remember Noah? Christ is the better Noah that rescued his people. That gave him better promises. Do you remember Abraham? 
Jesus was his promised offspring. Do you remember Isaac? Jesus was our sacrifice. He was the, the ram in the thicket. He would die and his own son would crush him. Do you remember Joseph? Jesus is the better Joseph. Those who loved him tried to kill him and yet he rescued them. Do you remember David? Jesus is the promised offspring. The promised descendant of the line of the king of David. Do you remember Hosea? He is the husband that rescues the one who committed adultery against him. And on and on it goes. When you understand the gospel, you understand that every story that happened points to him. This is our conversation. We just don't have 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. We have the whole thing. And it all points to him. And the more you know it, and the more central Christ in the gospel is, the more you can engage in every conversation, wherever that conversation is, and bring it right back to where we are, the cross. It must be received, brothers and sisters. We must proclaim it. Here's what he's reminding the church today. You received it. You believed in it. It also must be stood in. Do you see that? How do you stand in the gospel? Well, 2 Corinthians says that we... Stand in the gospel through faith. Romans 5, 2 says we stand in the gospel by grace. By grace through faith we stand. It's the same word he gives us to hold fast. You see that? We hold fast to it. That's, that's a statement of fact. It's present, ongoing. It's happening right now. It is belief with action. But do you see the warning? It is possible to believe in vain. It is possible to have an intellectual belief that does not produce a grace-filled effect. So this is the most important question this morning for us is, am I believing the gospel? I didn't ask you if you believed the gospel when you were eight. I didn't. It's not the question this morning. I'm saying right now, in the midst of the threat, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the panic, and the one that's going to happen next year, are you believing the gospel? There is a type of intellectual assent that may damn you. And it is a pastor who loves a people that would say intellectual sin that produces no life effect is not salvation. He's saying you believed it. You received it. You were standing in it. And it is exactly what is saving you now. There's some mistakes that come with people's understanding of the gospel and how central it is to your life. The first one is that it's simply something that happened in the past. That's common, especially among us Southern Baptists who believe you can sign it and put your name on it and move on. The gospel sometimes is maybe something occasionally good for the present. 
Maybe when something really bad is happening. Or, this is common, the gospel is simply something I'm probably going to need in the future. So, I do something in the past, so secure something in the future. Listen, the gospel is intended, according to this passage today, to be a past, present, and future reality in our life. Our past is settled. Our present is secure, and our future is certain because Jesus is alive. He is risen. Verse 2 says, It is this gospel that's saving you right now. It was this gospel is the reason why you woke up saved this morning. Because God keeps his people. Romans 5, and we'll close with this. Just good news this morning. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of His Son, much more now will we be reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So brothers and sisters and those watching online, hear me today. God has sent His Son. And He killed His own Son. So that you might have life. And today, He calls all people to repent of their sin. And put their faith in Jesus Christ. And here's His promise. All who do, none will ever be cast out. This is the clarity of the gospel. And brothers and sisters... We are here in King's Mountain for such a time as this to proclaim it. Let's pray together. Lord, it is our desire as your church for we have gathered today to worship you either online or in person, Lord. And we have done so because we dare not waste our life living in fear and anxiety when your son died for us and he is alive. So God, we... Thank you for this good gospel word this morning that needed to reorient us to what ultimately matters. And so, Lord, today we thank you. As pitiful as our language is, God, and as limited as we are to be able to express it, oh God, that we would express it by what we proclaim and how we live and how we love and how we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you. Thank you for these witnesses that we have talked about today. Oh God, I thank you. For some old Puritan pastor who oriented me today. Who gave his life in the midst of a time of darkness and persecuted persecution to love 
his people and to love his city. God, allow us to serve you in that way. Allow us to pour our lives out as a living sacrifice for you. For you are worthy of it, God. You're worthy of our life. And so, God, we thank you now that we can stand up to our feet and worship our risen King, who is the Lord of all, especially those who believe. We pray this in his name, because his name is Jesus, our Lord and our Messiah our brother and our friend. Amen. Stand. Worship together.